Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Cyber. I'm extremely excited to welcome Harshal Parikh to the hot seat today. Harshal is the CEO over at Tromso, the only product security operating platform designed to control and secure the software delivery pipeline end to end. Before founding Tromso, Harshal was the CISO over at Medallia uh, and a founding member of the Silicon Valley CISO Investment Group. In the interview, we primarily dig into Harshal's transition from security leader to entrepreneur, specifically things he had to learn, like defining their ICP, determining their marketing messaging, and building a sales team, things that are obviously completely foreign to an enterprise security leader. So all in all, great conversation and hope you guys enjoy. Well, the party is off to a good start. Harshal, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Joe. Yeah, of course. Well, as a way to kick us off, why don't you tell us uh, about yourself, your background, and how you found your way into the security industry? Fantastic. I would love to. So I've been into security since uh, almost my high school. Uh, I've been a very passionate follower of this space. I used to read books of this, uh, this famous hacker called Kevin Mitnick back in the day. And uh, he, you know, good or bad, but he is sort of the inspiration behind me getting into this exciting space of cybersecurity. Um, so as a security operator, I started my career. I studied computer science and then got into cybersecurity as my first job um, and grew through the ranks. You know, started as a computer engineer and eventually uh, ended up most recently as a, as a CISO of a, of a B2B tech company out here in the Bay Area. Um, and the journey of you know seeing security over a period of time and how it impacts the uh, rest of the organization and how the changes in the rest of the organization affect security, all of that insight led me to start my own business, which, um, uh, which is called Tromso. We started last year. Um, super proud of that, making that transition from a security practitioner, CISO, to a founder. Uh, but yeah, that's what I do nowadays uh, as a CEO of a cybersecurity startup. And did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or start your own company? Not really, actually. And I remember very distinctly about four or five years ago, I was talking about this with my mentor and we were discussing. And at that time I was debating, should I do like an executive MBA or something like that? And um, one of the things that he had suggested was if you're further along in your career, you're in senior positions, the reasons typically people do, and this is, not, this is sort of generic, not really applicable to everyone, but one of the big reasons why people do an MBA is to really get exposure to, for example, entrepreneurship, establish relationships, and learn about other things of the business on the business side that you may not understand as, as a leader in particular function. And at that time, I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur. That's not of interest to me. And this is like five, six years ago, right? So, uh, so clearly that has changed and I'm loving it. I'm loving being an entrepreneur, you know, doing all these things that are just so different, so exciting. Um, and building something that people are using. So, so is, uh, to, uh, to answer your question, no, I, I didn't have that as, a, as one of my career goals, but it just happened to be uh, at the right time and the right place. And, and I don't regret it at all. Yeah, cool. You know, I, I know as a concept, right, for a lot of people, entrepreneurship is attractive because it's kind of a blank canvas, right? You get to carve your own path, if you will. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of pride and, uh, I think energy that can come with like, just, you know, having really the wide open space in front of you. 
Um, you say you, you love it so far. I'm curious what you enjoy about it. You know, I've always been uh, big into learning new things and learning not just for the sake of learning, but learning new things and actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, like if I reflect on my career, I've, I've tended to do those things, like doing new things every few years. Um, sometimes it has been, you know, micro changes like going, I started my career in network security, but then I switched over to application security that switched over to, you know, more strategic roles. So like not being comfortable in one space by switching over to doing other things. Uh, and the, the part of learning something, being good at it, um, and actually trying to do uh, something that's better, uh, that's what I love. So I think that was uh, one of my incentives of you know, doing something different, which is this entrepreneurship. I just enjoy doing different things now because as a CISO or as a security person, you never have to deal with the challenges that you have to deal with as a CEO and a founder of a small company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are the things that keep me excited. You know, Every few months, there's new thing that we have to learn. It's whether it's about how to build a new function within, within a company, uh, or it's uh, about how to hire the best people in a particular domain that you, you have no idea what the domain is about. So you, know, so you have to learn all of that stuff. You have to not only just understand, for example, you know, uh, BDR or SDRs or, or sales and product marketing and all of that stuff. Like that's, I mean, we sort of know what it's about, but you don't really know until you actually do it. Sure. So understanding those domains and being able to be good at, you know, finding the right talent, attracting them and, you know, hiring the right people for those things. Each of those is uh, is a very different skill set and learning and doing those things is what, you know, makes me excited about this. Yeah. So, when you took the jump, right, when you went from sort of internal, you know, CISO security leadership role to starting and founding, being the CEO of your own company, what were, uh, you know, as a sort of open-ended large question, what were some of the, the, the big things that you had to learn or even overcome uh, as you got started with the business? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I also see this pattern a lot from other peers who made similar uh, switches. One is, if you're a technologist, like which most security people are, most technical, you know, professional people are, mm-hmm. uh, you're very focused on um, technology or the solutions to problems that you're experiencing. But being a, being an entrepreneur, being a founder, you have to obviously build a, a product or solution that solves a problem, but that by itself does not make a successful business, right? So, so you have to figure out the way you're solving it or the way you're talking about it, or even the problem that you're trying to solve. Is that a big enough problem that's relevant to a lot of people? Is this the solution that a lot of people want to solve for? And even if it is, can you talk about it in an articulate way that compels people to take action? Because the mm. biggest competition for almost every single company's inertia, status quo is easy, right? So how do you um, how do you make sure people pay attention to the interesting things that you're building and get out of inertia and do something about it, right? So like that's you never have to do that if you're if you're a security professional or if you're an engineer. You know, you're building on your own things and you're delivering, you're, you're doing your job and you're, uh, you're, even if you're really good at it, you typically don't have to convince other people. You don't have to like sell your product. That's not what you have to do. But as an entrepreneur, it's just totally different. And I think that was the biggest shift in mindset 
which is mm. just building good technology doesn't really make a great business. It, it is foundational, but sure. it's not the only thing. Yeah. So how have you sort of approached that within Tromso? I know you haven't described yet uh, sort of what specifically you guys do or sort of the problem you help solve. So if you don't mind, maybe speak to that for a minute. And then within the context of, uh, you know, what you just described is, you know, there's a difference between a product that solves a problem and a product that can, you know, be the foundation of a viable business. How have you within Tromso's context sort of bridged that gap? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an interesting challenge, right? Because um, it's it's a it's a lot about who do you uh, how do you message, how do you position your company, and also um, who is it relevant to? Because one of the things that a lot of people think about is like if it's a good good product, everyone will buy it. But that's I mean, it, it, not everyone even needs the product, right? So just understanding who is the right persona that actually needs your product. And then only going after them is is very important to this. Um, a lot of people waste time and energy in going after certain types of personas or certain types of customers that may never be the right buyers of it. Um, yeah. So I think understanding that is incredibly important. And, and we spent a lot of time doing that. I mean, it wasn't very clear when we started. So over a period of time, um, the, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of great advisors around around me to ask those questions and they come back with these things. So we learned over a period of time, like that is one of the most important things. And we did spend a lot of time doing that. So once you find the right type of person or a role or a persona that understands your problem, that's feeling the pain point, then that's half the battle you've won it already, because then you just have to make sure you talk about your problem solution in a, in a way that they understand it. Um, so I think those are the two key pieces, finding who is this for and messaging it correctly. So they're understanding they're compelled to, um, to make a decision. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, so overall, yeah, those are the two key learnings for me in that. Cool. Okay. So, uh, within your, uh, your role before you started the business, what did you see that made you say, all right, this is you know a big enough problem that I'm going to jump ship and go start a company to uh, yeah. to solve this? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the the big, so I'll take a step back and I'll talk about, just set the context of what we do. Yeah. So as, as I mentioned, you know, I've been doing cybersecurity for a long time and over a period of time, a lot of things have changed in the industry. <laughs> so a more recent change, and by recent, I mean the past, you know, seven to 10 years is, uh, is this widespread adoption of obviously cloud, but what cloud does is enables your software developers to build and deploy code faster, right? So earlier, even five to six years ago, it was uh, not very common for a lot of the dev teams to, to be you know, in, in a very modern DevOps agile way of development and, and software delivery. But now that is very common, right? Every single company is doing it in some way or the other. Yeah. Unfortunately, what happened was as a security professional, uh, we got left behind, right? So what that means is, when in my previous companies, when development moved from a waterfall model to more agile CICD based delivery systems, my security team, we completely lost the, the, the ability to understand who is building what code and who's de deploying it where and who owns all of these things. Um, and uh, we had no idea what risks are being introduced and how do we even implement security and compliance controls on top of it. So. So those were the fundamental problems that we had to solve ourselves. And this is in my uh, a few jobs ago. 
So we try to understand what other people are doing, right? So at, at, in my previous company, we were solving the exact same problem. I talked to a lot of other CISOs. Uh, thankfully, you know, by that time, Slack channels and CISO communities and all that stuff was very popular. This was several years ago. But then that gave the impetus to share these problems with other people. And what I realized is every single company is struggling with this exact same problem. Every single security team is struggling with this problem of how do you bring this visibility and control into the modern software development lifecycle? Um, so when I talked to some of the more mature companies, larger companies who had a lot of security resources with them, they all are automating this process. They all are building some sort of control and uh, visibility into the SDLC, into the CICD pipelines, into the developer workflows, right? So we know that's the obvious choice. We know application security has to be automated because a lot of these leading companies, they're already doing it. Leading security teams are already doing it. But in my previous company, we didn't have the resources to hire five developers and you know build our own in-house solutions to automate all of these policies and workflows and all of that stuff. So that, that was one of the big reasons for us that, hey, look, this is a macro change. Every company will be agile development uh, company. And cybersecurity cyber for us in application security to be successful, we have to automate ourselves. Um, and if we don't do that, it's, um, we will be left behind. So the obvious answer is, is automation and there's nobody who's doing it. So why not we start a company and do it? So that was the reason why uh, we left our, uh, me and my co-founder, we left our roles and uh, started the company last year. Cool, okay. And did you see that there were others in the space already doing something like this or something similar? Or, um, you know, from what you saw, were, were you guys sort of the first ones that maybe noticed this problem? You know, the interesting thing about um, startups is that whenever we start a company, whenever anyone starts a company, they tend to think they're the only ones doing it, but yeah. we guarantee that there are three other people doing exactly similar things, right? Um, so we, kind of, we didn't know because everyone was in stealth at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. But we had a suspicion that we're not going to be the only ones trying to solve this problem. The thing that we believed in ourselves was that, look, we come with an incredibly deep practitioner experience. So we, we have felt this problem personally. And that's not a very common thing. Like if you look at most of the cybersecurity companies, they're, they're not being founded based on personal experience. Um, mm -hmm. And we know exactly what the problem is that needs to be solved. We have a lot of the CISOs who also invested in us. So we have a a huge brain trust assembled together, people who are personally feeling this pain point, who are trying to solve this problem themselves. So we know that we have the right approach, we have the right problem nailed, we have the right solution to solve this problem that just works. Um, so that's our uh, differentiated advantage as compared to everybody else. But you know, um, in, in our space also, you know, the way we are, so the problem is very common, right? But there are different people coming at it from very different perspectives. So we like okay. to believe that our approach is a better approach because it's based on you know real experience as compared to other approaches. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there are other uh, you know companies who are trying to solve a similar problem with very different approaches. Not to like advertise competitors, but could you just describe or help me like paint that picture a little bit for like how you guys approach it versus how somebody else would approach solving the problem? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a very simple example, right? So <clears throat> when I talk about the problems of visibility and control, so visibility is the easy part. It's sexy. You know, everyone loves mm -hmm. more visibility. Everyone wants that single pane of glass. 
So in the world of application security, there are quite a few companies who are um, who started with that hypothesis, like, look, you have way too much data, we'll consolidate all of that in, into really nice looking fancy dashboards. And that's great. You know, it's it, it has its own um, it has its own place in the security toolkit. Uh, but being a practitioner, I know that if you can, you know, consolidation of data and building nice dashboards in a single pane of glass, that's good. But by itself, as a security professional, my objective is not just to find issues and report it to people. The real objective is to remediate the risk and manage that risk, right? So, yeah. so we know that just aggregating data and building nicer visibility is not the solution to it. It's some people will buy it because you know that is a fundamental problem that's um, that's uh, that's not solved. But the real solution is how do you act on that data and how do you drive the people who own that risk to act on it, on it, right? And security, by the way, doesn't own the risk, right? Security owns the responsibility of reporting that risk. In some cases, security owns the risk, but in vast majority of it, uh, the organization in general, different parts of the organization, they own the risk. So how do you get them to pay attention, to, to do something about it, to make their job easy? Like that's the unique perspective that we come with and that has influenced the product that we are building. So, so that's your example of, you know, yeah. other companies are building visibility, centralized visibility product, but we go beyond it because we know that centralized visibility is important. It's not the solution to a lot of uh, the problems that we have. I see. Okay. So it's not just about identifying the problem and, you know, setting off an alarm. It's about actually you know, remediating and tracking something as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. the point. And you, I mean, you talk to enough security professionals that you would, uh, that you know, that's exactly how they think, right? Like their, their mm -hmm. job doesn't end at just, hey, this is a problem. Somebody do something about it, right? That's not, <laughs> that's not useful. Sure. Okay. Zooming out a bit, I'm curious how your investing and advisory experiences have helped shape how you run and you know, have, how you've gotten Tromso off the ground. So I know when we did our prep call a few weeks back, you mentioned, um, if I remember correctly, being one of the you know early investors or participants in Silicon Valley CISO investments and doing some other things, uh, you know, other investments and advising beyond that. So, can you just speak to how those experiences have helped maybe shape how you run Tromso? Yeah, for sure. So, as a part of um, Silicon Valley um, uh, CISO investments (SVCI). We, we are a group of CISOs that came together to really help startups because the most common problem in cybersecurity is we all complain about the you know, uh, security products that, you know, that promise a lot but under-deliver most of the times and they have some sort of AI ML in their tagline with blockchain nowadays and you know, all kinds of buzzwords thrown up together, right? But they don't really solve a problem. Yeah. Um, so we came together and said, okay, we have done enough complaining let's actually roll up the sleeves and help the startups build the right product with feedback from us. So we came together with that mission, right? And as a part of doing that, we'll obviously put our, um, uh, put our money where our words are. So, so we want to invest our own capital in those startups as well and really work with them to build a long-term sustainable business that solves a problem. So as a part of that process, we work with a lot of early stage companies um, and um, advising them on different things, including things like, how do you prioritize different features? What do you, uh, how do you message um, things? How do you differentiate yourselves? Um, you know, brokering introductions to them and really putting 
putting a lot of the collective brain behind making a comp- different parts of the company successful. Yeah. So going through that, it it becomes really apparent that uh, you know building a business is not easy. It is so so damn hard. There are so many moving different different pieces that are moving all together, and you have to coordinate and manage a lot of those things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, interacting with founders, especially founders who are very aggressive or just you know focused on execution, tremendous execution. So we know that you know what it takes to actually build a successful business, right? So. Uh, it's uh, it's just that experience working with so many companies and it's all, um, you know, very successful founders coming from different backgrounds, coming from different perspectives and seeing that over a period of time that really influences, uh, at least it influenced me in terms of what it takes to build a successful business. So those are yeah. all great learning experiences. Okay. And, you know, as you've made investments and in some cases probably made a decision not to make an investment, are there things that uh, maybe principles or like characteristics of a, of a company idea or a founding team that you now look for in our like hard requirements that you describe? There's no hard requirements necessarily. I mean, there are certain patterns, right? Certain yeah. patterns which are um, in, in what we see is in companies that have a strong team and not just one or two strong founders, but a strong team. Um, and you can just see the, you know, the confidence that they have, the dynamic uh, that they have between them, the energy that they have. You can recognize that, you know, these teams are just going to execute no matter the adversity, right? So they will, mm-hmm. they will find problems, they'll, they'll conquer them. Um, so looking at the team, and it, it has become more and more important as we have matured in our own process as SVCI um, for evaluating different companies. And and I can already see that this has become much more important as what it used to be than before. Sure. Okay, cool. Another concept I'm curious to get your thoughts on um, are sort of actually growing the business. And, you know, I'm sure as you were getting the company off the ground initially, you were able to go to, you know, your connections and network and friends you've established over the years and get their thoughts on it. Um but now as the business is growing and maybe you want to establish a, you know, a larger foundation or um, sort of cast a wider net, if you will, how do you think about go to market? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good question, right? I mean, I think uh, the, the security industry is so fragmented. We all know that it's, it's a small community and everyone knows each other, mm-hmm. but there are also certain patterns. Like there are certain types of uh, security teams that, that operate similarly. And then there are other groups of security teams that operate differently. So what I would say is the way my team operated as in a B2B tech company, Silicon Valley space is very different than the security team at a manufacturing company in you know, a large company in, in the Midwest, right? So it's very yeah. different. And it's easy for us to live in a bubble and just assume that everyone operates this way. But obviously, that's not the reality. So when you are, uh, as a founder, when I am thinking of a go-to-market function, like we have to keep a broad mind in terms of what are those different uh, types of companies. A lot of it is related to where they are from a geographical perspective um, Mm -hmm. and how they tend to make decisions, right? So certain companies are 
very tech forward, very uh, very open to startups, working with startups that are very open to it as compared to others which will want you to be in a Gartner report in a magic quadrant before they'll even take your call, right? right. So, so, so there are, you know, um, our customers in all over the different, you know, uh, different places within the spectrum, but we, we really have to understand, you know, where they are and be focused on which types of companies will get you the most success uh, in the short term. Mm -hmm. But also keep an open mind for the for the longer term as you expand the business, right? So go to market. There, I mean, it's there's not a um, there's not a lot of innovation in go to market in a way. Like it's it's well established uh, patterns. Uh, there are modern ways of doing go to market. There are legacy ways of doing go to market. Um, but uh, you just have to you just have to follow the follow the rigor. Uh, and, sure. Uh, and, and it also depends on you know what you're selling and who you're selling to and the price point and the adoption and how customers try out your product and all of those things, how we acquire customers that decides whether, you know, whether you go bottoms up PLG or you go top down traditional enterprise sales and what have you. So a lot of those factors come in together for us. It's a, it's a traditional sales uh, enterprise sales motion for us. Um, yeah. But yeah, some companies are doing more bottoms up PLG and that's great as well. Got it. Okay. So you said traditional enterprise sales motion. Is that, it's safe to assume that sort of large enterprises are sort of your ideal customer profile at this point, or is it more sort of smaller businesses that maybe more nimble? Yeah. So for us, it's more mid-market and uh, enterprises. Okay. We definitely don't yeah. go after SMBs. Um, it's yeah. not, our, not our bread and butter. Got it. Okay. Very good. Well, uh, I just looked at the clock and I see we just have a couple of minutes left. So uh, with that, we'll transition into the, the quick fire round. Um, I purposely didn't warn you about this, but uh, <laughs> the basic premise is I ask you uh, a couple of quick questions and you share whatever comes top of mind. Sound good? Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Cool. All right. What book are you currently reading? I am reading Seven Powers. It's a, it's a strategy book that talks about what are the strategic differentiation, um, different ways of uh, establishing strategic differentiation for yourself and the company um, cool. to build a long-term sustainable business. Very cool. All right. Uh, what is the worst piece of security advice you ever received? Worst piece of security advice. Worst, uh, worst speed of security advice. When I was younger, uh, I was in consulting and uh, somebody uh, advised me to run phishing campaigns on uh, on their bonus paycheck. So <laughs> at the time when people, uh, the employees receive bonuses, start a phishing campaign that would looks like they got additional bonuses to bait them into clicking those links. And these guys, you know, we were in a consulting company, right? So our objective yeah. was to get as many uh, clicks as possible. Terrible, terrible idea. Thankfully, we actually didn't execute on it because, you know, we validated that. But apparently, yeah. other people have done it, and it ended disastrous uh, situations. But yes, that's cold. Yeah, yes. that's cold. Yeah, <laughs> really, really bad. Yes. All right. Um, let's see. What's the most challenging part about your role? Um, hiring the right people. Hiring is really difficult. It's not new. I mean, everyone talks about hiring, but it, it actually really is. It's yeah. one of the most difficult problems to solve. Yeah. And last one, if you could go back in time and get a drink with your 20-year-old self, uh, what advice would you give him? Oh. Oh, that's a good question. He's 
keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I think yeah. it's, uh, I, I don't have any, any, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Cool. That's a good place to be. All right, Harshal. Well, it was a, uh, a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time and uh, for the opportunity to chat. Fantastic, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah.